All right, welcome to the first episode of Choose Inclusion after the election. Um, as many of you probably know, we're kind of still right in the middle of it. Um, and so what's cool though is we, um, we're very excited to connect with our guest today on this Black Voices Matter series. Um, but first, let me say hi to Nina and, and Mike. Hello, how are you guys doing right now in the middle of everything? Doing okay, trying to keep sane. Yeah, I uh, I did kind of a Harry Potter fest last night because I was so anxious for the results. So that's telling you where my mental state is. Right, <laughs> right. Uh, now I hear you. I mean, it, talk about stress. I, um, you know, because it, like later into the evening, it wasn't, you know, it didn't look like it was going so well. So I actually, my wife and I uh, switched the channel over to watch Dexter instead, which actually made me feel better. The story of a lovable serial killer <laughs> somehow made me feel better so I could go sleep. Wow. And, and yeah, right? Like, just I mean, wow. just insane. So, you know, we, we're, we're excited because we, Judge Carlos Moore is here with us. Um, and it, it's really, I think, just such an appropriate way to come into today after the election. Uh, judge Carlos Moore is the first black man to ever sit as a city judge in Granada, Mississippi. He's also president elect for the National Bar Association. And there's so many more, um, you know, just just things related to Judge Moore that that we'll get into. But first of all, how are you doing right now, Judge Moore? I'm great. I am great. I'm cautiously optimistic uh, about the things ahead. And it's just a great day to be an American. I love hearing your optimism, uh, Judge. I, I want to, I want to jump right in because I saw a post that you did on LinkedIn uh, that we just learned went viral. Um, I, I thought it was fantastic and just a, uh, you know, in, in your view, maybe it wasn't such a, uh, you know, you're like this is just what I do. But I, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about you know, the post and uh, kind of your approach to uh, young people um, as you see them in court. Yeah, gladly, Mike, thanks for the question. Uh, as you know, I'm a municipal judge, and so I deal with a lot of traffic infractions, misdemeanors, first appearances for felonies, for preliminary hearings for felonies. And so last week I was on the bench uh, last Tuesday and two young people appeared before me. Uh, one was uh, 17, one was 18. And so uh, the young lady had a pretty much perfect record other than the speeding ticket that she received. And so um, I told her that I would give her a break. Uh, I asked her, has she, has she registered to vote? She said, yes. I told her that if she uh, brought me back proof this week, um, yesterday that she voted or I wrote me a 500 page essay on the importance of, of voting, I would give her a break. And so she came by City Hall yesterday and she uh, had a vote. I vote, I voted sticker on. And so we're happy about that. And then I actually counseled the court yesterday, so she got me by and saw my clerk. And we're going to have her to present the essay uh, next week uh, when we're on the bench. She'll bring by the essay, and she won't have to pay that those several hundred dollars. Uh, so she fine. voted. She voted and wrote the five hundred word essay. She she's doing both. Yes, and wow. so uh, she's just excited. This is the first time voting, and um, I believe she'll be a life life uh, a lifetime voter. So hopefully, she can encourage her comrades, uh, other eighteen year olds, or other uh, teenagers that's approaching the age to vote are already old enough that they'll be able to vote uh, in the next and future elections. And so 
we were happy to just uh, make it a teachable moment for her. Um, I could have just done a non-adjudication just because of it was her first offense, but I, I wanted to make it a teachable moment for her and, and encourage her to do something to exercise her civic duty. Uh, and then the young man, 17 years of age, so she was 18, then the young man came up, he was uh, driving without proof of insurance and that ticket uh, was gonna be almost $1,000. I think he may have had something else, but he didn't have anything else on his record otherwise. And so um, I told him, uh, I asked him how his grades were and his mother was standing with him and they told me the grades were good. I said, but what's good? They told me he made A's, B's and some C's. And so what I told him is um, uh, if he brought me, brought up one of those C's, uh, brought me the current report card showing he has C's and then, brought, and then the next report card showing where he brought up at least one C to a B. I would give him a break and, and do a non-education on his on his uh, ticket. And so he's excited. His mom's excited. They were just thrilled. Never heard of anything like that. I saw them on Facebook. They made a post and say, he's telling the truth. He did this in court. And uh, we're excited that my son, he's going to bring that. He's going to bring the grade up. And, and the guy, I saw his post. He said, I'm going to bring the grade up. He's just appreciative of, of having the opportunity. So sometimes you have to think outside the box. And so. I just want to encourage young people to be their best, do their best, to be full of full active participants, citizens in this country, and always put their best foot forward. And so hopefully that will encourage not only them, but encourage even other judges not to be so punitive all the time with young people, but to give them a second chance. That's amazing. And I mean, I can see why this this tweet went viral, or it wasn't just a tweet, this LinkedIn post and Facebook post went viral, was on the front page of Reddit. Um, you said there's already 6 million views of that post um, on one of the social media accounts. Um, but I was wondering if you could talk to us a little bit more about alternative sentencing. I feel like that's something that, you know, I, we're not really aware of as an opportunity in the justice system. And, you know, what exactly is it? And why is that important? You know, people fail to realize that judges are not robots. We have a lot of discretion. Um, I know in the federal uh, the federal level, in some states, they have mandatory minimum sentencing. But on city court levels, a lot of the times there is no no mandatory minimum. So you can do you have a free range to to do a lot of things. You, you have the caps at the top end telling what's the maximum thing you can do, the maximum five, the maximum sentence you can get someone in jail. But on the bottom end, uh, there is no, no minimum a lot of the time. So I'm free to. Uh, find them, uh, find them and put them in jail, put them in jail. Uh, I can withhold adjudication. I can make them do an essay. I can uh, uh, send them to community service, send them to uh, anger management. Uh, I can be very creative. Um, and with young people, I, 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 I exercise even more latitude and try to think of something uh, that fits uh, the situation or may fit the, the young person that's particularly before me. Um, if they're in college or they're in high school and trying to make something out of their lives, I'm more likely to be lenient than someone that's a repeat offender. Uh, even first offense marijuana charges. I mean, even though marijuana is still a um, a crime in Mississippi, simple possession, a lot of the times if this is their first offense. Uh, my track record has been I don't even find them. I give them a, a non-adjudication because to me, it makes no sense for half of the country to be making money off of marijuana than the other half going to jail or paying ex extensive fines for it for possessing it and just smoking it for recreational use. And so I just try to use common sense. Um, I often pray uh, like Solomon did for the wisdom uh, to make uh, wise decisions. I love hearing that, Judge. I, I got to tell you, I want to go right from there to 
uh, you know, full, full disclosure, uh, any of our listeners who have listened for a while, I'm uh, absolutely the least educated uh, on this amazing podcast and uh, certainly with you on here. But I, I learned something that I, I'm embarrassed to say that I just learned with our pre-call and that was about the voting act. And it that really just kind of like th- that just it blew me away that this is still like in practice today. Can you can you please talk to and hopefully I'm not the only listener who uh, this was news to. Can you can you please go through this? And more importantly, what what are you going to do as you become go from chair elect to chair uh, to uh, eradicate this and and uh, make make that difference? Well, you know, the Voting Rights Act was passed in 1965, and it was one of the greatest pieces of legislation uh, to affect uh, affect African Americans in this country. Uh, before that, we had so many impediments uh, to voting and so many intimidating tactics, uh, voting suppression efforts to try to keep black people from the polls. I mean, we were killed, lynched, uh, uh, threatened, jobs threatened, all type of things. But the voting rights, excuse me, the Voting Rights Act uh, gave some semblance of normalcy. And after that, we started voting in droves and started winning office uh, in this country. And so but it has to be reauthorized every 10 years. And so um, it seems that for most other pieces of legislation in this country, uh, once it's enacted, it's enacted until further notice. But for some reason, there's a special provision that requires the Voting Rights Act to be reauthorized every 10 years. I don't know if they're thinking or the leaders thought that there would come a point where we didn't need the Voting Rights Act because we would have a level playing field. But I'm here to tell you that uh, definitely, as you can see in this year's election, there is still no level playing field. The Voting Rights Act is still very much needed and it is a good piece of legislation and it needs to be uh, put out there with no end date. And we're always gonna need those protections to make sure that we have, that the principle of one person, one vote is uh, always uh, sacrosanct and, and is always equally alive. And so when I become president of the National Bar Association, one of the things I'm gonna do is to push um, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act uh, successful passage through the Senate. It's already passed the House, but it's it's bottled up. It's met a bottleneck in the um, in the Senate. So we need to get out of the Senate into the president uh, for for a signature, and uh, I think that will do the do the trick. No matter the outcome, I guess of of um, <laughs> the election. What so in, in order for that process to be successful that you just talked about that. Do you need a certain type of leader in in the White House, you know, for for that? Or given the two options right now, would you feel like you had an equal chance to get that passed no matter who was in there? I think it's more probable that it passes. uh, I think it's more probable that uh, a President Biden would sign it. Uh, I think it's possible that a President Trump would sign it. It's probable that uh, President Biden will sign it. Yeah, because I, you know, yeah, I, I know that the current president has. I think um, there has been, I think, some movement we've seen in terms of, um, you know, the black community, for example, and and um, you know, uh, I can't think of the word now, but uh, as far as you know, things happening with, with black people in prison. And, and so there, I feel like there's been movement in a good way. And, and, you know, I think this is one of those, those, um, those things, those, those causes that, yeah, like it, that it's hard to play politics on that one 
but also we're also kind of seeing what's happening right now with the current administration using legislation to try to stop a potential outcome. Like, how, what are your thoughts on on that and what's happening today? Yeah, there have been so many voter suppression uh, efforts and vehicles uh, disbanded this year by the powers that be that it's just been mind boggling. Uh, we're the greatest country um, in the world and to see a, a democracy or public as ours uh, show signs of uh, a pseudo dictatorship uh, and tyranny and authoritarianism. Uh, it's just it's just shocking to the conscience. I never would have thought in my wildest dreams that America would be doing some of the things that we're doing with our uh, voting and voting rights and elections. Um, but there have been so many efforts to uh, um, uh, put out misinformation uh, and to use the court system to to almost steal an election. And so they're trying to pack the courts with uh, people that would just rule a certain way, no matter what. And it's just mind-boggling, and so we're we're hoping that for a better day. Now, so with, in addition to um, you know the the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act, are there other pieces of legislation that you are or any kind of um, policy advocacy you're going to be doing as part of being the the president of the National Bar Association? Yes, I'll also be supporting the George Floyd. Uh, uh, Justice and Policing Act, that passed the House, but it's locked up or uh, it's two in the bottleneck in the Senate. And so it's just sitting there, but we're gonna try to seek passage of that through the Senate so it can get to the president as well. That's very important. I've been a civil rights lawyer for 14 of my 18 years of practice and I've handled tons of uh, police brutality cases, excessive force cases. We have a serious problem in this country and we have to get a handle on it sooner than later. And so that's gonna be one of my top priorities is to try to seek the passage of the George Floyd uh, Justice and Policing Act. I'm also gonna be a strong advocate for reparations. I think it's high time that we have reparations in this country. Um, you may have seen yesterday, last evening, the Mississippi flag, uh, the citizens finally voted for a new flag after 126 years uh, with the Confederate emblem as our state flag, in our state flag, we now have a, a new day. And I was a leading proponent, even filed a federal lawsuit against our governor about the, the former flag because I saw and desired a better day. And I believe that after 400 years of slavery um, and not being enumerated for the free labor that we gave, it's high time that we get reparations. And so uh, there cannot really be um, true atonement. I think reparations will be the true atonement in this country that will allow us to, to reconcile and move forward together as one nation. But you cannot just trample upon somebody and just say, I, I'm sorry. I mean, the Jews, uh, the Japanese, they all got reparations. So I don't see why African-Americans uh, should not uh, should not get reparations for living in this country. Wow. I, um, uh, I, I, <laughs> I love the big picture thinking that you come to uh, the program with uh, Judge Moore. I really appreciate this. So our, our Choose Inclusion podcast, so many times we're talking to uh, leaders about how to make changes within specific ecosystems. We've already talked a lot about, you know, here's legislation that's doing X, Y, and Z. What about, what, what about kind of the, the legal industry as, as a whole or what you know of it? Like how, how inclusive of, of an industry is the legal industry? 
The legal industry is still one of the most segregated professions, uh, law professions in the country. Uh, less than 5% of all lawyers in this country are African-American. And so, you know, we have 13% of the population. And so it, it's not even half of the uh, our numbers in, in the general population. So we have a lot of work to do. I'll be working as president of the National Bar uh, to expand and to diversify the pipeline and to make sure that we uh, make partners at some of the uh, top 100 law firms and that uh, we get some of the judgeships. I don't believe uh, in the last four years there have been uh, many uh, African-Americans appointed to the federal bench, which are lifetime appointments in very important positions and we're well capable of giving the opportunity. And so we'll be trying to expand the pipeline, expand the number of African-Americans in law school uh, that become lawyers and judges. And we'll also, be try, we'll also try to expand the number of Fortune 500 corporations uh, that demand that some of these law firms have African-American talent on the legal teams. And if they want that business from the big, firm, from the big corporations, they're going to have to prove uh, that they have some African-Americans um, on the team. And that's going to be my desire that's what I want to, see, uh, to, to bring forth. Well, so uh, you have you have no ambitious goals whatsoever over the next few years. Then that's what you're telling us, Judge. <laughs> yeah, what I go after, uh, I I go after, and come hell or high water, I'm gonna fight uh, to the end. It was a four year battle between 2016 and 2020 when that flag came down, but it's down now. And I always envision a better day for my daughter, and so that's why I do a lot of things I do. She just turned 10 last month, and so I'm intent on making this a better state. And also a better country for her and succeed in generational wars and those like uh, situated. And so if not us, who's going to do it? And so God's equipped me with certain talents. I'm not shy. I don't have a shy bone in my body and I'm not short on ambition and I'm a man full of faith. And I believe if you get up and you believe in something, you go after it, you can achieve it. Yeah, I think you just left all of us speechless because <laughs> we all we all aim to be to be what you 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 are embodying, Judge Carlos. So um, I don't know what to say. <laughs> UV Mike. Well, was it so? Did you did you say it was your daughter's? Speechless. Did you say it was your daughter's birthday last night? Last month. Yes. Uh, oh, last uh, month. Okay. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I was like, oh. I hope well, I'm, I'm uh, well, happy birthday to your daughter, first of all. Um, yeah, I mean, th yeah, I just, everything you're doing is, is you know, it, it's, how, how do you, what do you tell people? Because it's a fight, right? Like you just said, the flag itself took four years in Mississippi. How, what do you tell people when, you know, who, who are tired and, you know, who, who've been fighting this fight for way longer than, you know, anybody in America's from a, you know, from the white population can even understand. Like, what do you, how do you tell people to keep fighting? What are, what are words of inspiration that you provide them to keep up that fight? Yeah. I just tell them to uh, take it one day at a time and be willing to run, to run your leg of the race. My leg of the race was four years in 2016 to 2020, but there were others that came before me that fought long and hard uh, before I did to try to uh, get that flag down. As I said, it was up for 126 years, and I know all of my lifetime others have been fighting to take that flag down. So we all, it's a relay race, uh, and we all have to be able to do our part and run our leg of the race. 
And if we never give up, we'll eventually win. And so um, uh, while the lawsuit in itself was not successful, it was a federal lawsuit that went all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court by raising the profile and taking it up and everyone watching it from across the country. Um, and then others joining on the bandwagon, that chorus got louder and louder and is down today. And so uh, the moral victory won because we had always encouraged, I said, I'm going to file this lawsuit, but I'm always in, going to encourage the governor and the, and the state legislature to change the flag. And ultimately, that's what happened. And so um, you just never know. I, I say the squeaky wheel gets the oil. It seems almost impossible. Uh, if we've been over here 400 years and had got reparations, that we probably won't get it. But I believe in saying a glass half full instead of half empty. And I do believe if you get up and fight for something, uh, I mean, there are, and as a course of people now saying that we deserve reparations and if we can get all that stimulus money for coronavirus pandemic and they did that at a drop of a dime, uh, they can pay us uh, these reparations um, because it's, it's rightly, there's different ways to, to pay it. You can do it uh, through federal government, state government, educational institutions, corporations. There are so many people that have benefited from the free labor that my ancestors provided. So I think it's gonna be a collective approach uh, to get into reparations. And I think that will go so, so far in making this the country uh, uh, great again. I mean, some people think it's, it's, it became great again under Trump, but I think it really can be great if you do right by people. You just cannot trample upon people and then expect to, to, to do it. The Bible tells us to seek forgiveness. If we do wrong to someone, you seek forgiveness and you recompense that, that man. Uh, and so uh, reparations will be recompensed for the wrongs done. Yeah, Judge Moore, I think that's so, I, I'm so glad you're bringing up the issue of reparations because I think that it's such a, it's such a big one, right? It's like, it's recognizing the historical um, impact that, you know, slavery has had on an entire group of people, an entire group of marginalized people. And it's uh, this kind of concept of just taking us out of just, you know, one person only being responsible for the things that have happened in their lifetime, just recognizing that context is everything. Um, mm -hmm. I'm so glad you're addressing that. But like, in addition to that, and all the other work you're doing around the policy nationally, around changing how you're adjudicating at the local level, you know, what is, what is the world that you want, like 20 years from now, I always say this is a marathon, not a sprint, right? Mm -hmm. And like, I think I, you know that too, <laughs> having been working on this for such a long time. And so, you know, what, what do you want to see the world look like 20 years from now with all the work that we're collectively doing to change it? I want to be a society where anyone, regardless of the color of their skin, has an equal success at the American dream, uh, no matter their station in life. Uh, I don't, I want everyone to have an equal opportunity at living the American dream and being successful, no matter if you're born uh, to a black parent, a white parent, a married parent, a single parent, uh, a gay parent, a straight parent. I want everyone to have the same shot at success. There should not be some arbitrary or arbitrary barriers to success based on one station in life. And so I was born to a single mother. No one would have ever predicted my life would have turned out like it has. And people encouraged my mother at 18 years of age when she got pregnant to have an abortion. And so while I'm a Democrat, uh, I was a Democrat before I became a judge and I have to be nonpartisan, I do believe that uh, life is so very important and people uh, never know uh, uh, who or what they are bearing. And so uh, if they choose to keep the child, that child can become something great. Um, and so, I think my mom's example will go go far. I'm going to talk about it in my book that's coming out this month. I talk about her having a choice of making the abortion and 
I'm, I'm having an abortion and she decided against her friend's advice uh, to, to have me. And so I'm so grateful to be here and I'm going to try to change the world. And so I have big dreams. Uh, I'll run for office one day, but I've never wanted to be a career politician. I want to do things in the real world. And if I can have a greater effect on the, the country, I'll run for, for public office. But I don't want to be there 30 years. I want to get in there, do what I'm going to do, make some positive changes and come, come on back out to the real world. I um, please talk to us about your book, Judge Moore. Please, I'd I'd love I'd love for you to share to our audience about your upcoming book. Yeah, the book is called Five Brothers. Um, it's our successful. It's called the Five Brothers: Our Journeys to Successful Successful Careers in Law and Medicine. So it's me and four other individuals. All of us are African Americans. We are blood. We are not blood brothers, uh, but we are brothers uh, uh, by bond and. Three are lawyers, one's a judge uh, and a lawyer, and then the other is a physician. And so we talk about our various careers. Two grew up in uh, our various journeys, actually, and all the obstacles we had to uh, to clear to become the professionals that we are today. Two grew up in New York, one grew up in California, I grew up in Mississippi, and the other grew up in Jamaica. And I can guarantee you, once you read the stories, uh, it will bring tears to your eyes to know um, that we persevered through so much to become um, successful. And we're trying to just let everyone know that if we could do it, they can do it too, because there was nothing that would have predicted that any of us would have become successful. And young guys need to know that the paths of success include more than becoming an entertainer or a ball player. Uh, you can actually use your head. Uh, you don't have to use your, your bronze all the time, use your brains as well. And you can live just as well as, as, as anyone. And so uh, one, of the brothers was a victim of police brutality uh, himself. And so he persevered, he uh, got in some trouble uh, because of that and ended up dropping out of law school, again, put out of law school, had to be readmitted two years later. He finally finished and, and now he's fighting the battle uh, because of some things on his record. Uh, he, even though he's passed New York bar and the Florida bar, he has still not been given his license. And so I'm gonna use my position as president of the national war uh, to try to make sure he gets his license in those states, uh, because I don't believe, um, as, you, as you heard before, I believe in second chances, and I don't think he's done anything worthy of not practicing law. And so the other uh, grew up very, one of the ones in Jamaica grew up very poor. Uh, I mean, no one would have ever expected him to become a physician, uh, but he's one of the uh, leading physicians in Las Vegas now. And so it's just uh, uh, a tale of um, triumph over adversity. And so It'll be out on November the 17th, and we're going to go on tour virtually and, and, and hopefully next year uh, in person and, and spread the word that uh, yeah. they can do it, too. I love it. I, I hope you guys come out with an audio version. Um, I really do. I'd, I'd love to hear uh, I'd love to hear the stories actually told uh, by the five brothers. I know you guys are all very busy. Uh, individuals, but uh, I'd, I'd love to hear the passion that comes out of your voice because that's what you're filled with is so much passion. Okay. And I'm, uh, we, I know we're going to have an e-version and a, a hard copy, but I would talk to the guys. And I think we can do an audio version. That's something uh, that needs to be done. And so uh, I will look to do that. Yeah. That, I mean, it, it, I think what I'm, what I'm getting is this, you know, no matter what gets thrown at at you the, the you know at, at the entire community of black people in this country voter suppression you know starting with slavery voter suppression you know, no matter what gets thrown 
you can, it, you're, you're human beings who continue to fight and persevere and it's time for the rest of us to, to help, right? That's where the reparations come in, but it's like, we're all on an evil play. We're all on an even playing field. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, it, we need everyone to understand that. And, and slowly but surely we're getting there. Your work is, you know, making that happen in, in so many amazing ways. And I just, I just want our audience to know that, right? Like it's, you know, nothing is going to stop you. And that I think we're seeing that in with with this election, you know, uh, there's there's a certainly a, a minority group of people trying to keep others from casting their vote and they're still coming out and casting their vote. And so uh, I just I can't thank you enough, Judge Moore, for your insight. All the work you're doing is just so incredible. I encourage everybody to go out and and follow you. And, and as you move into your president role for the National Bar Association, I'm just amazed. I can't wait for the changes to come. And so thank you. Thank you for being our first guest in the middle of this, uh, this election and what, you know, just, just kind of guiding us through what to expect, but also like just guiding us to understanding the good that's coming. I think is is what I'm excited about. So thank you very much for for being on the show. Well, thanks for having me, Yubi. I've, I've just been a pleasure to speak with you guys and lady. And uh, as you said, nothing beats a failure but a try. And if Biden pulls this out, this is Biden's third time running. I mean, he could have easily given up and said, "I'm not going to run for president. I've run I've won twice and lost. Why run a third time?" And similar to myself, I had to run three times to become president of the National Bar Association. But as a law student, my first year law school, I said I would become the president of the National Bar Association and come hell or high water. If I had to run 15 times, I was going to become president. And so I had to run three times, even though I lost by one vote the first time. I picked myself up, dust myself off, came back again and ran. I lost convincingly the second time. But yet and still, I came back a third time. The third time was the charm and I, and, I, and I won convincingly. And so if you never, ever give up, you will eventually win. And so. Tomorrow, I think it will be a new day. We will learn. Uh, I, I do believe that Joe Biden has won the presidency of the United States on his third try. And that's pretty much unheard of. It's unheard of in the National Bar Association. No one has ever won on their third try. If you didn't win on the second try, it was pretty much over with. But if you never, ever give up, uh, and it's been a saying, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. But some people, they just, they may try again, but they're not going to try, try again. And so that's not just a saying, it's real. Right. So. Love it. Love it. Thank thank you so much, Judge Moore. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Judge. Appreciate it. Appreciate you taking the time for us. This has been great. All right. Y'all take care. And thank you. Thank you to all of our listeners, too, for joining us. Um, As usual, you can continue to hear more voices um, from all walks of life on uh, chooseinclusion.com. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, Amazon Music, and uh, we will see you all next time. Take care, everybody. Bye, guys.